This morning's text is found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 to 21. I invite you to turn in your Bibles and follow along, or in the Bible in the pew rack in front of you if you have need. Reading from Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, lowliness, meekness, and patience, forbearing one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Our text this morning is very straightforward and simple. It's verse 21. It breaks down very naturally into three parts. First, there's an address. Fathers. Second, there's a command, do not provoke your children. And third, there's the purpose of the command, lest they become discouraged. And I'd like to look at these in reverse order with you this morning. We'll start at the end of the verse with the goal of Christian fathers to rear children who are not discouraged. And then we'll look secondly at the duty of Christian fathers, namely not to do anything that discourages children. And then third, we'll focus on the leader in the task of parenthood, fathers. But before we, we focus on those three parts to this text, let's talk for a moment about the fatherhood of God. We prayed the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer is the word of our Lord teaching us to call God Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. But Jesus does not teach everybody to call God Father. John 8. If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded and came forth from God. You are of your father the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. Clearly, everybody is not a child of God. Some are children of Satan. Who do the bidding of Satan rather than the bidding of God. And who trust in themselves rather than the Son of God. Romans 8 makes it very clear what the qualification for sonship 
is under the fatherhood of God. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. All who are led by the Spirit, these are the children of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. But you have received the spirit of sonship. When we cry, Abba, Father, it is the Spirit Himself testifying with our spirit that we are the children of God. So who can count God as His Father? People who are born of God, John 1.12. People who receive Christ, John 1.13. People who are led by the Holy Spirit, Romans 8.14. These are the people to whom the Lord says, I make over to you a covenant whereby you may plead your childhood status in prayer. Matthew 7.11. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? And He makes over to us the promise that all things work together for good for those who love Him, that is, who have a filial father and childlike relationship. So who is it this morning in this room who is a child of God and who on this Father's Day can say, I have a Father in heaven. Not everybody. Not everybody. Therefore, I want to begin with an invitation. Because the Father in heaven holds out adoption as a gift this morning. There isn't a person in this room who has to go out of this room without a Father in heaven who cares for you and loves you and will welcome you into eternal life forever. All it takes is receiving the Son and yielding to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You can do that right now in your heart. You don't have to move a muscle. And I hope that you do so that the rest of this message can take on a different significance. Because there are two reasons, really, why I begin this message by talking about the fatherhood of God. One is that I believe the fatherhood of God is the model for all human fatherhood. I think it's the primary task of a human father so to lead his children that they see in him God the Father. That's the challenge before us, fathers. To be the kind of father who is a reflection, even though dim and imperfect, a reflection of God the Father in His strength and tenderness, in His wrath and in His mercy, in His exaltation and His condescension, in His matchless and perfect wisdom, in His patience and slow guidance. That's what we've got to be for our children. So we need to know God the Father. And the second reason why I begin with the fatherhood of God is because I want this message to be relevant for every person in this room, including women. I want want you to know, men, that if you never had a father, like the father I'm going to talk about, or you failed to be a father, like the father I'm going to talk about, the sadness of 
of not having the father you wish you had or not being the father you wish you had been, all that sadness can be swallowed up in the glorious, joyful truth you can have a father in heaven who is vastly superior in love and knowledge and wisdom and power to any father you could have ever been or had. It's free for the having through faith in His Son. There are two ways, therefore, to listen to this message. One is to hear it as a straightforward exhortation to fathers from the Word of God. And the other is to hear it as a parable about our Father in Heaven that everybody can have. For the receiving. I hope everybody hears it in both senses. Because whether you're man or woman. Son or daughter. Aunt, uncle, grandparent. You can by knowing what fatherhood is. Cultivate a church, a world and a family. In which those kinds of young men can grow. Let's go to the text. And hear the exhortation to fathers this morning. From Colossians 3 verse 21. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Let's talk about the goal of fatherhood first. The goal of fatherhood is to raise children who are not discouraged. That's what the text says. And the word implies losing heart, being discouraged, listless, spiritless, disinterested, Moody, sullen, a kind of blank resignation, lying like a blanket over the child's life. Don't be the kind of father who raised that kind of child, the text says. But rather, surely is implied in this negative command and purpose, be the kind of father who raises children who are the opposite of discouraged. What's that? What's the opposite of discouraged? I thought of three things. The opposite of being discouraged is being hopeful. The opposite of being discouraged is being happy. The opposite of being discouraged is being confident and courageous. And surely, when he says, avoid provoking lest you discourage, he doesn't just mean have a mentality of avoidance. Don't, 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 don't. He Surely he means, now think of the sorts of things you should do that cultivate the opposite, namely hope and happiness and confidence and, and courage in your children. Now, if we stopped right there, we wouldn't have said anything distinctly Christian. There's not a parent in 10,000 who thinks the goal of parenthood is to discourage children. And it's a, it's a disappointing thing to hear people get all excited and say, Oh, look, the Bible confirms what we've been learning from the world in wisdom. That's not exciting to me. I don't believe the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to confirm the teachings of Dr. Spock. I think the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Paul to say 
what no eye has ever seen, nor ear has ever heard, nor has it ever entered into the heart of man. That's what God has revealed to his holy prophets and apostles. Every sentence of wisdom that comes from the world stands under the qualification of the word of God. There's not one sentence you can learn from the world that does not need to be corrected by the word of God. For this simple reason, God must be added. Or it is false. Let me illustrate. Paul's teaching makes very clear that when he says to a father, don't provoke and discourage, but rather beget hope in your children. He does not mean hope in money, hope in a successful career, hope in a spouse, hope in health, hope in popularity. If you were to ask the Apostle Paul, or Jesus for that matter, what kind of freedom from discouragement do you want us to cultivate in our children? He would not say, what I want is this. I want you to be the kind of father who doesn't discourage his children, but fills him with hope in money. that fills your children with hope and positive approach to life in success, in health, in marriage, in a good family, in popularity and esteem in the profession. You know that's not what the apostle meant as the opposite of discouragement. He meant, fathers, don't discourage your children. Cultivate hope in God. You will not hear that from the world. Nowhere. Ever. Consider happiness. Happiness is the opposite of discouragement. Paul would be very upset with me this morning if in this sermon I said, Fathers, don't discourage your children. Make them happy. Period. He would take me aside at the end of the service and say, John, that's not Christian preaching. That's just common sense that everybody in the world knows. Don't you know that fathers can make their children happy and send them to hell? Don't you know that there is a happiness that kills? That was not a good sermon. It's like a thousand sermons today. In order to receive approbation from the apostle after this message, this is what I must say. Fathers, don't discourage your children. Bring them up in such a way that they become happy in God. The Bible says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to dejection because there is a happiness that kills There is a happiness in this world that has nothing to do with God. 
It's a happiness that comes straight from the creation and does not key off the creator one bit and it has no value in God's sight at all. And it leads straight to destruction. And fathers who make that their aim are not good fathers. They're bad fathers. No matter what the world says. Thou hast put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for Thou alone, O God, dost make me dwell in safety. Thou hast put more joy in my heart than they have when all their grain and wine abound. Fathers, don't discourage your children. Make them happy in God. And thirdly, what about this issue of confidence? The opposite of discouragement is confidence and courage. Well, here, the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of Scripture go in opposite directions. It becomes very clear that what you learn from the world not only needs correction, it needs inversion. The world says, don't discourage a child, build up his self-confidence. And God says, don't discourage a child, build up his God-confidence. Not only that, the scripture goes farther. The scripture says, fathers, Make it your aim to root out of the heart of your child every vestige and root of self-confidence. And not only that, the Bible is not naive here. The Bible knows that most people fail in their quest for self-confidence and feel rotten about it. Because they want to be seen as self-confident. They want to appear cool, collected, assured, altogether, in control, and they fail again and again. And they feel miserable. And the root of that misery is the desire to look that way. And so the meaning of Scripture when it says root out self-confidence is root out the desire for self-confidence. That's the root. That's the evil. Root out the desire for self-confidence. Let me illustrate this from the Apostle Paul. This just came to me in the last few weeks with amazing force. He's been a Christian for 20 years when he writes this, or when this happened. 20 years he's had a father in heaven who loves him and has been working on him to root self-confidence out of his life. And he hasn't finished yet. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And this is what Paul says his heavenly Father is doing to him and for him. He says, We do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly, unbearably crushed 
that we desired of, despaired of life itself. Why we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely or literally be confident, not in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Here is a father in heaven with a child on earth who has been in the family for 20 years as a man of God And he still has to work on him to get self-confidence out of his life. Do you see what that implies about how deeply rooted this wickedness is in our hearts? Can any of you say that you're a better man or woman than Paul was a Christian? I sure can't. Paul, 20 years of sanctification and God must almost kill him to get it out of his heart. Isn't that amazing? Therefore, I declare to you, fathers, one of the great missions that you have is to get self-confidence out of your children's hearts. Andrew Bonar, the 19th century Scottish pastor, concerning the teaching of children, said, We tell them, you are sinners exposed to God's wrath and curse. And you cannot save yourselves, but God's own son can save you by himself bearing that wrath and that curse. In other words, fathers, we teach children to despair of themselves. To despair of themselves and to flee to Christ. To flee for grace and mercy and to a heavenly father who loves repentant sinners. We want our children to say, vain is the help of man, but with God I will do valiantly. I have a son in Florida right now, 13 years old at boot camp before he goes to the Dominican Republic. He's 13 And there's an age range of 13 all the way through college there. He's low man on the totem pole. He's never been away from home longer than a week. And he's going to be gone for eight weeks. And I'll bet he is facing some awfully threatening and discouraging things. How does a 13-year-old get along while these college students are talking? What's he feel? What I want to hear him say is... Vain is the hope of man. With God I will do valiantly. Not, well, I did all right in school. I made good grades too. I come from a good home and I know a lot of scripture. And Trying to show that he's got as much ground in himself for confidence as everybody else who's trying to look cool and collected and self-confident. No, Karsten. That's not the way you've been brought up. You go to hell when you do that way. Don't kill yourself trying to be like other people. Say with with man there is no hope. But with God I will do valiantly. With God I will be a good missionary. 
For God's glory and in God's strength, I will make it through. Fathers, that's what we want to produce in our children. So fathers, ponder. How can I be like my heavenly father? How can I banish all self-reliance and self-confidence out of the heart of my children and fill them with confidence and courage and boldness and power? Why did God want to get self-confidence out of Paul's life anyway? Was it because he wanted Paul to be spiritless? Resigned? Heartless? Blank? No passion? It was God who came to Paul in the middle of the night in Corinth and said, Fear not, but speak. I have many people in this city Do not be afraid. I will be with you. Do you see God's alternative, brothers, to self-confidence? I will be with you. Fear not. Don't bank on your own resources. Don't be confident in yourselves. Don't look to your own intelligence, your own cleverness, your own looks your own money, your own family, your own prestige, your own accomplishments. Forget it. Look away. It's all garbage, Paul said. I count it as garbage for the glory and the privilege of just knowing a gracious Lord who loves me and gave himself for me and a father who will welcome me and kiss me and hug me, sinner that I am. That's the alternative we want to beget in our children. How do we do it? What do you do? And that's point two in the text. Do not provoke your children. It's negative, isn't it? Don't provoke them. Look at verse 20. Children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Do you see what that gives to parents? Authority. Parents have a God-given authority to tell children what to do, and then God binds the children to do it. So verse 21 comes in as a warning not to misuse that authority. Fathers, don't misuse this authority that I've just given you in verse 20. Don't treat your children such that you break their spirit and leave them hopelessly discouraged and resigned. Ephesians 6, 4 is a parallel to this, and many of you know it by heart. It says, fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. That's not what this verse means. That's not what this word means. There's a different word for provoke in Colossians 3.21 than there is in Ephesians 6.4. Ephesians 6.4 very plainly means don't make them angry. Colossians 3.21 is a broad word. It's used one other time in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9.2 where it's used positively. The Achaian Christians provoked the Macedonian Christians to be generous. They motivated them. It's a big, broad word. So here's what I think he means. I think he means, fathers, don't do anything 
that brings long-term discouragement and disconsolence into the heart of your child. Now, what's that? What should we avoid, fathers? The reason I say long-term, by the way, is because great wisdom is required here, isn't there? Not all short-term discouragement is bad for a kid. Because all you have to do is look at what God did to, to Paul in, in 2 Corinthians 1. He brought him to the point of death. Do you think Paul wasn't discouraged? He was at his wit's end. He, he had given up on life. And then when he stood back, he saw God's loving hand in it. And he said, I see what he's doing. He's still trying to root out self-confidence out of my heart. And so I understand. And it was a short-term discouragement. And the positive love of God reawakened him to his grace That's the way we must be. There can't be long, repeated bludgeoning of a child until he loses all hope and all spirit. Well, what do you do to avoid provoking him to discouragement? Let me just mention two things very quickly. First, what you can do to provoke your child to long-term discouragement and hopelessness is to fail to be hopeful, happy, and confident in God. What you are, fathers, is more important than any parental technique you'll read in a book or try to practice. What you are makes all the difference in the world. Do you think that your child will hope in God if you hope in money? Do you think your child will be happy in God if you're more happy fishing than worshiping? It will not happen. Do you think that your child will be confident in God if your whole demeanor at home and at work is calculated to get your wife and all your colleagues and neighbors to see your self-confidence? It won't happen. What you are is what your child will become Be hopeful in God. Be happy in God. Be confident in God. You know what the most important work a father can do for a child is? Get converted. Be converted. Be a Christian. Only Christians hope in God and are happy in God and yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit and are led by the Spirit of God and are the children of God. And so that's my first statement. You can provoke a child and bring a child to long-term, indeed eternal, hopelessness and discouragement by failing to be hopeful, happy, confident, and courageous in God. Second, and finally, fathers, we can provoke our children to long-term discouragement and hopelessness by disciplining them in an impulsive, erratic, and inconsistent way. Unpredictable, impulsive, hostile discipline begets and produces fearful, bitter, deceitful, and discouraged children. They don't know where the explosion is coming from next. They don't know which way to turn. They say to themselves, perhaps not in so many words because they can't articulate it, well, what's the use? 
I don't have any hope that being good or being bad is going to make any big difference. I can't judge where the explosions and the discipline are coming from. Everything is so up for grabs and inconsistent and impulsive and erratic. And into that little child's life come several things. Very likely there will come, for sheer survival's sake, a capacity to deceive and maneuver and posture so as to avoid that discipline. And there comes into that kind of heart a kind of sullenness, an absence of the free and overflowing and abounding natural affections and joys that come into a child's life when the other home is created. Here's the other home. A home where there is controlled, appropriate, consistent discipline based on clear rules and principles of justice. An atmosphere is created where a child has freedom within this within this well-known boundary. He knows where they are and how firm and stable they are. They aren't always bashing into him and whatever way he turns and he doesn't know quite what justice is in this home. They're stable, they're firm, and he has this big circle in which he can play and plan and work and be happy and relate. And, and he all of a sudden says, my father in heaven is probably not capricious either. My Father in heaven is consistent. My Father in heaven is not impulsive and erratic and inconsistent. My Father in heaven has, has boundaries and borders for me. He is consistent. He is firm. He is stable. He is, he is trustworthy. Why, in this kind of world, I might flourish. I might be loving. I might do something of value. I might even do something great with the help of this God, my Father. Fathers, the most important thing you can do for a child is to be God for them. One last comment as we close on the third point of the text, namely the address, fathers. This is, this is tonight's message, and so I feel free in passing over it. You remember verse 20 said, children, obey your parents. Underscore that word parents, moms and dads. And then he shifts in verse 21 to fathers. Why? That's what I want to talk about tonight. I'll just close with this exhortation. Fathers, I, I believe that you and I are given not an independent and not an isolated but a unique responsibility in the moral life of the home. There is a special burden lying upon fathers that God places squarely on their shoulders to be shared with their children. And so I exhort you, fathers, become, become a man who hopes in God is happy in God and is confident and courageous in God so that you beget children who are not discouraged but who are hopeful and happy and confident in God and not in themselves.